0: Good evening. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. Um, Before we get started, I just want to pray. Um, Just stuff's weighing heavy on me, and I just want the Spirit of God to be here. Um, And so just join me in prayer, and then we'll, we'll jump into the text. God, I just want to thank you for this night. Thank you that we can come to you and praise you through song and through fellowship and through word. God, I ask that right now that any distractions would be removed. God, that we would check all that stuff at the door. We know that there's an enemy at work around us, prowling around, who wants to cause strife and division, and God, I ask that that would um, be snuffed out, Lord, by your Spirit. God, we would call it what it is, get rid of it, and that your Spirit would speak to us and you would press upon our hearts tonight, and that you've got something for us. Move me out of the way. Speak to us. We ask that, Lord. Set the tone. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, it's good to see everyone. If you are new with us, I know we've got some out-of-town visitors here tonight and we've got some Jensen students here tonight. We're so glad you guys are with us. Um, We are a fairly young church and we often say that we're a group of people committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to our city and to our world. And so we're glad that you're here with us tonight. We are in the middle of a summer series that we've been calling Around the Table, Joining Jesus in the Ordinariness of Life where we've taken the weeks of summer to really focus on this idea of evangelism. If you're not sure what evangelism is, the basic idea is that we want to share Jesus with all people in hopes that all people will give their lives over to Christ. And so that's the whole point of this series and what we've been looking at each week. Uh, We've been in the Gospel of Luke, so we've been in different stories where we literally are seeing Jesus invite himself to people's tables or he's being invited to other people's tables and in that ordinary thing of eating, basically changing their lives. And so our hope in this series has been that you are joining others in everyday rhythms of life and that Jesus is changing people's lives and hearts because we know that the Holy Spirit is working around us and that I believe with all confidence that there's people around us in our city and in northeast Portland that God is already stirring and the Holy Spirit's already having a conversation with those individuals. Now, we don't get to choose who those people are, but our job is to open our mouths, to share life with them and to point them towards Jesus. Um, Last week, we heard an excellent sermon from David Dorner, Who reminded us that God is always working on people's hearts? And so that was a fresh reminder for us, and that people are never too far away to come to salvation. A city like ours is really difficult to live in, it's really challenging. And sometimes I'm just going to put my cards out there. I'll confess there's moments where I say, I just don't know if there's any hope for these people. They just seem to have no interest at all. We make the news for everything that's opposite of what I'm reading here in Scripture. But David reminded us last week that someone is never too far away to come to salvation. And once again, it's not for us to decide if that person is is too lost, so to speak. And he challenged us with what we're doing with what God is teaching us, which is my hope that each week we don't come in here just to say, okay, we heard a 30 or a 35, 40-minute talk by someone, and uh, David gave us, you know, you write some notes, and and then you shuffle them in your Bible, and then you kind of forget. And then you come back the next week and do the same thing. Like, hopefully we're taking and applying the truths that we're learning each single every single week and so i'm not going to ask if i was doing the style david did last week i maybe asked like what did you guys do with that this week and who could tell me and i would have some questions for you maybe we can do that around some coffee later at dinner at my house uh, to see what is it you're doing with what you learned last week tonight we're gonna be back in the gospel of luke Um, go ahead and turn with me there to the chapter 14 i'm gonna attempt to work through the first 24 verses this evening And I'll be reading from the ESV copy of Scripture. I believe the words will be next to me here on the screen if you don't have a copy of Scripture with you or there are blue Bibles in the back if you need to grab one. And so we're going to start out verse 1, talking about healing of a man on the Sabbath. It says, One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, "Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out?" And they could not reply to these things. This is actually the third story in the Gospel of Luke, of Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And and feast. If you think about a feast, you, most of you probably had a feast at the Fourth of July. They're supposed to be joyous occasions. Um, what I say is a picture of what heaven will be like. And we often find Jesus enjoying such a setting in the gospel of Luke. That's why Luke's probably one of my favorite gospels. I, I love to eat and I love to join people around the table. If you ask me what my week looks like, a lot of it is meetings with people who are either part of the church or aren't part of the church. And we're grabbing coffee or we're grabbing donuts or grabbing salads because that's what I've been doing lately. And the Pharisees' goal here, it's not to demonstrate true hospitality. It comes across like maybe like these Pharisees keep inviting Jesus over. Like Maybe they're just trying to be like, hey, we're, we're good guys too. Like come enjoy a, a meal with us. But that's not what they're doing. They're, they're, they're watching him very carefully. It's like they have a microscope on him to see what it is that he's going to do. And they're hoping that they can catch this Jesus guy off guard. If we invite him over enough, he's going to let something slip up, and he's going to say a word that he shouldn't say. Or he's going to treat someone sh- the way he shouldn't treat them. Or he's going to belittle someone. Or he's going to do one of these things, and we go, you're a fake. We caught you. You're not exactly who you said you are. Now, if you invite any of us in this room over, and often enough, or some of you have lived at my house, you know that it doesn't take very long, and you, you will trip me up, and that will happen because I am not Jesus. And we can say, thank God that you're not. But Jesus, so they're, they're trying to trip him up here. And so we see Jesus. He willingly takes these invitations. He's going to dine at the house of a Pharisee. If you're not familiar with Pharisees, those were who are were merely religious, the Pharisees are really good rule followers. So if you grew up in church, that, that you may have been a Pharisee. I'm not accusing anyone, but maybe you're still a Pharisee where you're like, I can check off all the boxes. I know exactly what I need to say, when I need to say it. I know when to Sabbath, when not to Sabbath, what I can eat, what I can't eat. So they're really good rule followers. But here's the thing. They had no relationship with God. And how sad is that? They would know all the right answers. They could teach way better than I could teach, but they had no relationship with God. Jesus is a very popular dinner guest. As you can see, this is the sixth dinner party in the Gospel of Luke that he's been invited to, and it's Jesus. So he has to know that he's being watched. He doesn't go into it blindly thinking like, oh, they're they're not even going to be paying attention. They're watching him. They watch every single move that he would make, hoping to catch that mistake. Some of us in here probably have friends and family there this way. I know that I do. You go out with them, and and, and maybe you do say something or or, or maybe you make a joke, and they go, whoa, you're, I thought you were a Christian, or I thought, you know, now I hear it, now, now it's like double bad, like, I thought you were a Christian, and you're a pastor, you know, and people will call me out, and that's, and that's okay to say, you know what, you, you're right, but they're trying to catch you up to say, like, you see, you're a hypocrite, and I say, yeah, the church is full of hypocrites, you're not wrong there, I won't, I won't deny that, because we're still a, a, a body of people that are still broken, we still have needs, because we're not Jesus and in this story, it says he's eating with a man who has dropsy, which is uh, a disease where excess of fluids would gather around various body parts. That may sound a little, maybe a little gross to us, but it doesn't sound like, why, what's the big deal? Like he's eating at the same table with the guy. At this time, and in this setting, eating with someone that had some of like this would actually have made you unclean. That's what they believed. And so being, being next to this individual, you would not have wanted to, like, like, why did you give me this spot? I'm next to the guy with dropsy. And if you were sharing this, you know, passing the, the dishes around, and God forbid you're ripping off the same piece of bread like we do with communion here, and it's, it's like, wait a minute, they, they've touched that, and now they've given that. They believe that that would make you unclean. And so being associated with a person of that nature. And so we see Jesus here, he's going to come in typical form. He's using a dinner party to challenge people directly and personally. Think about Jesus. He is not seeking approval of anyone at that meal. Jesus goes to these meals, but he's never going in there and say, like, let me prove enough. Let me do another thing. like Jesus like, no, I'm, I'm not here to seek anyone's approval. I have the approval of my Father. Jesus wasn't a crowd pleaser, but he always spoke the truth to the crowds. He wasn't worried about what it is that people were going to think about him. This is one of the challenges that, that I have as, as a pastor. When you, when you speak in front of groups of people, it's like, am I going to say what they want to hear, or am I going to stay true to what Scripture is saying and that the Father wants them to hear? As an evangelist, Jesus challenges people in every situation. He confronts and he rebukes the self-righteous and the false religion that the Pharisees carry with them. Notice back in verse 3 that Jesus asks a question, one that had been used previously, but he gets no response. It says, and Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, by this time, the Pharisees have learned, at least I would like to think they learned, that you can't win an argument with Jesus, which is probably why there's no actual response to the question. So Jesus here, he says, I'm going to contrast the value of an animal and that of a man, which you would hopefully, I know we're in a city that loves animals, but hopefully if you had to choose one, there's a man falling down a cliff and there's a dog falling down a cliff. Hopefully you'd choose to save the man first, even if it's your worst enemy, save the man first, and then, you know, hopefully there's time to save that, that dog as well. So he's saying, you know, he's contrasting there. And as a parent, I wouldn't sit by and watch one of my children fall down a cliff. We go hiking quite a bit. We live in the Pacific Northwest, and hopefully, you're all hikers. If you weren't a hiker when you got here, you've probably bought some Timberland boots since then and Columbia gear, and you probably go hiking. And so, we do this on a regular basis. This is kind of a Sabbath for me. Oftentimes, it's restful for me. I know it's work, and our muscles are sore, but it's getting away from the computer. It's getting away from preparing a sermon. It's getting away from meeting with people, and it's just out in nature. And spend time with the family. Now, if either, any of my three boys were to fall down the side of a cliff where you got those switchbacks, Elliot did throw a rock off one the other day, which is not recommended because you could hurt someone, but if he fell down that cliff, I'm not going to go, well, it's my Sabbath. Hey, babe, sorry, Andrea, we need to we, we got to come back tomorrow because this is our Sabbath day. Like, we're resting today. He'll, he'll be okay. I know he got scraped up, and he may have hit his head, and it looks like he's passed out. He'll be all right. This is our Sabbath. We can't break our Sabbath. Like, no, that would be foolish, and I would go to jail for neglecting to save my child. And so that's what what Jesus is trying to show them here. Jesus designed his question to provoke compassion in them in order to convict them with regard to the man with dropsy. But what does he get instead? He gets silence and he gets blank stares. Just like what, like they're just kind of like, huh, what are you you talking about? Because they were so ingrained in following the rules, specifically the rules of the Sabbath, that they didn't get it, that they just, they didn't fathom why you would be able to do that. And so from here, we're actually going to see the passage, it's going to transition for us, and he's going to go right into another parable, this time about a wedding feast. Now, prior to reading that, think about the best meal that you've ever had. What was it about that meal that made it so memorable and so good? Was it the food that was there? Was it maybe a Thanksgiving, or maybe a Christmas meal, or maybe an anniversary meal? That's one of my most memorable ones, the anniversary meal. There's this place uh, called the Angus Barn, and it was m- so memorable for a few reasons. One is it's this really old barn and cool property. They've turned into this really nice restaurant that I couldn't normally afford to go, but it was my anniversary, so we're like, we're going to splurge. We're going to go here. So you walk in. It's got a really nice environment. It's got all the, the wood grain and wood stacked out front, and there's fires going. We walk in. We sit down. They have an olive and cheese plate and crackers, and I love those things. I mean, just you're know, eating that up, and then they bring a salad to us. And then we order a steak dinner for two. We had so much food. It was good. It was juicy. It was filling. We had enough to eat lunch the next day. You also got a, some kind of cake that was given to us because of our anniversary. And the customer service was just top notch. So that stands out as one of the most memorable meals that I've ever had. And I got to have the company of my wife, Andrea, which was the best part of the meal. And that just, that just kind of sealed the deal as the cherry on top. Now, what is the best party that you've ever been to? Think about what it made it so memorable. Was it the decorations? Was it the company? For me, it was my 30th birthday party, which was only a few years ago. I'm not that much past 30, but it was my 30th birthday party, and it had people from the 30 years of life on earth, friends and family. This is back where I grew up, and one of uh, I share a birthday about a week apart with one of my college roommates, and so we kind of did a joint party together. And there was people playing music, and he smoked an entire pig. So when we talk about barbecue and hear me say it come out of my mouth, that means pork not hot dogs and hamburgers, so we had pork barbecue, and it was just a great, great time, and so that that's one of the best parties that took place. So with that in mind, and think about your own party and your own meal, what made it so memorable, with that in mind, let's continue reading in verse 7, the parable of the wedding feast. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. We noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So we see Jesus is often teaching us through the telling of parables. And in this parable, he's telling about guests at a wedding feast, And so, Jesus, as we've seen throughout all these meals, he never wastes a good opportunity to teach or disciple someone. I just imagine people just being kind of drawn in. You know, like the really, really good storytellers, when they get around a fire or you get at a a table with them, like everyone else just kind of gets quiet and just lets them run with telling the story. So, I imagine that's kind of the setting here with Jesus when he tells these parables. And the point of the parable that Jesus is telling is the wisdom of humility. He is saying, It is better to be humble than it is to be humiliated. Wouldn't you agree? Like wouldn't we rather say, I'm going to be humble in this situation rather than be humiliated in this situation? So Jesus says, start in a lower place so that you may be moved up to a higher place rather than starting in a higher place so that then you have to get knocked down to a lower place. And it was normal to want to maneuver your seat to get to a place of honor. We all do this every single time I go to a concert or an event now, don't we? Am I alone in this? There's only extroverts who do this. There's your favorite bands playing and you bought the cheap seat, but you're like, okay, I see a couple of spots there. I'm going to squeeze in here. I'll do like at ball games. I remember growing up, we'd go to NBA games, and we were way up in the nosebleed, and we'd be watching. You got that section, you're like, I can get down there, and they won't know it. And I'm not saying you should do that. It's not necessarily ethically right, but that's what my dad, blame my dad. My dad did it. So we would do that, but you always want to get to that, that place where you're like, I want to be part of the, the special guest. You know, at a wedding, you know, it's only those that are in the wedding party, they're at that special, t- they get the food first. Everyone else has to go wait in the line, and you might be in the very back of the line. And so Jesus isn't just, he's not just giving good, good advice on social etiquette, but we see a punchline here if you go back and look at verse 11 again. It says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So this verse is actually echoing a set of verses earlier in the book of Luke. Chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, verses 52 and 53, where Mary sings, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. So what's the point? That's that's probably what you're sitting there. What what is the point of this? In the kingdom of God, the world's ordering of things is turned on its head. For that matter, the world's way to God is also turned on its head. Think about every other religion. If you've studied world religions, most of us have to at some degree uh, in college. So every other religion, it offers things that you have to do in order to be right with God. Here's the list of items, do all of these things, say these many prayers, bow this many times, burn incense, give money, give food, whatever it is you have to do. And then there's this kind of this idea, this vagueness of like there's a hope that maybe if you do enough, then God might accept you. I remember talking with Muslim friends when we served over in South Asia and asking them, like, well, how will you know if you've done enough? Because I, you know, they would always say, I don't. I just I gotta continue to try. And got to continue to try. Man, it just seems like there's no hope in this, this endless cycle. But in Christianity, the message is reversed. And the message, we can't do anything on our own for our salvation. We can't follow enough rules, and we can't can't say enough prayers, and we can't, can't cross ourselves enough, do any of that stuff in order to be accepted by God. But we're reminded that Christ has already done it for us, and we're accepted because of what Christ has done. And the message is that we can now come rest in the arms of Jesus because salvation has been provided for you. Is this something you've been invited to and something you just have to accept and to take and to rest in that? I was sitting around a table with a neighbor not too long ago who identifies as an atheist, and as we're eating lunch, his inquiring mind, uh, which, by the way, if the longer you, you continue to have a relationship and you're sitting around a table with people, it may not happen the first time. I know you're looking at this series, and you're like, does Matt expect, like, we sit and we order a meal, and then we just jump into the gospel, like, presentation. Like, no, it could happen, but you're probably going to freak them out, and they may never invite you back. But you have these conversations, and the more and more they want to know, and so inquiring mind, like, man, I've never... Some people tell me they've never known a Christian, or I've never known a pastor, or I've never known a Christian like you, and what do you, what do you mean by that? And, you know, you're not categorized in these ways. But it was, his inquiring mind was just like, how did you know? Like, what made you realize that Jesus and this idea of Christianity was the way? In other words, that there wasn't, you know, it wasn't Buddhism, wasn't Hinduism, wasn't something else. What is it that made you realize That Jesus was the only way and so I was I was able to basically go through that with them and say I realized I couldn't do it on my own and that I had to offer the grace that Jesus has given us that grace of that unmerited favor because what we're offered in Christianity is opposite from every single religion that we can find and we see here in this story says that God chooses that which is poor that which is insignificant in the world's mind and he puts those people to the place of honor It's the echo of Mary, which is a sign of things to come. And so really what we see is the great reversal of status that takes place here. That's why you and I have been invited to that. So I know you may not consider yourselves a poor and insignificant, but compared to Christ, we are. But there's this great reversal that took place. It wasn't something that we could do. But Christ said, I choose you, and I love you, and I call you my beloved. And Luke's message is to make sure that you are on the underside when God reverses the worldly order. Don't come in as if you've arrived, if you know it all and that you have it all together. And the significance of these verses is to make sure that you are lowly and to make sure that you're humble because we see that the lowly and the humble are the ones that will ultimately be exalted. In other words, make sure you're an outsider because one day the outsiders will be the insiders. In Luke's gospel, one's attitude to the poor is the touchstone of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. How is it that you're treating those that are different than you? How is it that you're treating those that would be considered lower than you in our own society? I think that's one of the risks for for churches as they grow is they can become kind of this holy huddle, or even if they're small, they can become that as well. When people start coming in that look different than you and and act different than you, maybe have different beliefs than you, didn't grow up the way you did, and it can be very obvious. I've been in those churches before where are like, I don't belong here because they've got something special going on over here. And so we have to be careful with those things. As a church plan. We have to be mindful of those things and say, we, we want to welcome all people to the table that Jesus has prepared and invited them into. In this day and age, it may have caused one to be cut off from their prior social networks, as I mentioned, and they believed at that time it would make Jesus or the person next to the man would drop, it would make them actually physically um, dirty and that they would, they would also be unclean as part of this. This is similar in India for Muslim background believers you know, as I mentioned, my Muslim friends would always often come, uh, come with, I don't have much hope, but I also knew ones who gave their life to Christ. And when they gave their life to Christ, what that meant for them is they were literally leaving everything. They would lose their jobs. They would get kicked out of their houses. Their, if they were married, their spouses would leave them. And so they would literally lose everything. They would count the cost of what it meant to follow Jesus. And it was worth it for them. At that moment of proclaiming Christ and being baptized, it was all gone. And they would have to choose to become the lowly in the world, even if they were someone of a high prestigious status because they believed that Jesus was worth it. We're going to see another significant gospel theme in this great reversal. One that's huge in, in American life is the threat of possessions. And so we also see there's this idea of a threat to stop committing themselves to Christ's community because of possessions or hobbies have taken precedent. Those things that make one feel exalted. Don't we, don't we do that? Columbia Outlet is in Selwood, and I love going there. And I love sporting my new Columbia gear. Like this is actually a shirt from there. It's Mountain Hardware. I got a Mountain Hardware jacket recently. I'm surprised I didn't wear that tonight. So just be like, man, this makes me feel good. You know, I'm there way more than I should be. Or if I get a new Apple product, you know. But sometimes we let those things go to an unhealthy degree where it's like, now nah, because of this, you know, I have I have friends even here in the Pacific Northwest who've who've stopped being part of a church community. I'm not talking about attending on Sundays, being part of a church family. They've chosen hobbies over church over community over jesus riding motorcycles camping hiking i love doing all those things well i can't ride a motorcycle but i love doing all those other things but we can't let them get out of balance here that tells us in uh, chapter 16 verse 13 that you can't serve god and money or possessions and it tells us how difficult it is for those with wealth and possessions to enter into the kingdom of god don't let those things become what, what's exalting us let it be christ that's exalting us as we continue to take the lower and humble place and then we see Jesus continues. He's going to tell another parable of the great banquet, starting in verse 12. He said also to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And so Jesus gives us some clear instructions here of who not to invite, which kind of seems a little off at first. Jesus says, do not invite your friends. That seems kind of weird. And then he says, but I'll tell you who to invite. Invite the poor. Invite the crippled. Invite the lame. Invite the blind. In other words, invite those that the world rejects. Those that the world says, I've got no place for you. That is who you are to be inviting to your parties. Whatever that looks like in your context, that is who you are to be welcoming. And so the emphasis is on radical generosity of those that are rejected and depraved from society. And so our parties are to be a reflection, albeit a pale reflection of God's great coming banquet. Because God invites us into his great banquet, the one he will be throwing for all of eternity. So when we throw our parties, it's to be a small reflection of that. And when people say, like, our parties should look different, we should, inevitably, we should get to where we throw some of the best parties not because of necessarily the food or the drinks that are present, but just the, they, the, the community that's happening at those. And when people ask you, what, why, what is different about that? And it's, we get the point of this and say, well, there's this great coming banquet. Um, it, it's, it's kind of a pales in comparison, but this is, this is why we do this. This is why we believe in doing this. And think about who you normally invite to your table. How is it that you serve them? And what is it you hope to achieve? Is it about you or is it about them? A lot of times we'll have people over and it ends up really being about us. Like, guess who I had over? Guess who I had in our city over at my my table? Or do they always look just like you? Think about the last few dinner parties you've had, cookouts you've had. Is it people who look just like you? Would they fit into all of your boxes as far as your your socioeconomic status, your racial status, all those things you would check? Do they fit kind of just within that with maybe a varying degree? And so I challenge you, I challenge all of us, next time that you're going to have a party, invite someone that looks a little different than you. Invite someone that would maybe make you feel uncomfortable. Maybe you've got a neighbor that you're just like, I can't stand that guy, but I'm going to invite him to my party. Or I know that this neighbor believes in this way, or these neighbors have chosen this lifestyle, and I really don't agree with that, and it's really uncomfortable for me. Invite them to your party. That's the challenge, because that's what Jesus would do. Or if they have a party, go to their party. Join their party and be a representative of how Jesus would be there. We actually have an opportunity to live this out next week here at Sojourn. Next Sunday, immediately following our gathering, we're having a cookout out here in the parking lot. This will be the third one since Easter that we've had. So if you're part of us, then you've seen it, you've observed it. And so we're hosting this neighborhood cookout. Now, everyone's already welcome. Everyone is invited. But I want you to actually yourself invite people. We've done a Facebook ad, and it's on our social media and all that. I want you to physically say, hey, you're my friend, or maybe you're not my friend, or I know you, or I don't know you. Like, we're having this thing over here. I want to invite you. Invite people who, who, we, who you normally wouldn't invite. Maybe invite people who you don't think would normally show up here. So one of my plans is to walk this street, to prayer walk this street, and to go invite the houseless people that are in front of New Seasons and in front of Walgreens who are always asking for money and and always asking for food and things like that. To say, like, hey, we're having this party. It's like a two-block walk. I'll even walk with you if I need to. Come and hang out with us and just see what kind of conversations take place. True kingdom dinner hosts invite those who cannot repay them for their generosity. You know, sometimes you think, like, are you, are you inviting someone? And so they say, hey, I'll get you back. Like, I owe you a meal. Like, no, we're just, there's no strings attached. Like, come and enjoy good company and good food. And so Jesus is showing the Pharisee that he doesn't understand blessing the poor, and therefore he will not have a seat at the ultimate wedding feast in the kingdom of God. That's what he's telling him. Continue in verse 15. He says, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God blessed is everyone who will eat is a common saying at the time that and jesus flips the banquet invitation on its head similar to to the earlier meals he says those who are originally invited they may actually miss the banquet he says they're going to be replaced by outsiders and in this context that would have been gentiles and that's good news for us because as far as i know we're probably all gentiles in this room it says there's a way for those to be saved that you thought wouldn't be saved going back to david's message from last week you're never too far away from, from jesus to receive salvation right this this is what he's saying those who you you might look at and i think if we're really all honest i know we're in a city of of welcoming but we all have those areas where we're like i don't know i don't like those people i don't like this like those are the ones that salvation is going to be provided for that's what i believe and it's telling us that if you're not a believer or follower of jesus I want you to know there's a way of hope and salvation and you can leave without hope tonight. Maybe you're in here and you're like, you know what, I think I'm too far gone. I've done too many things. I've done things you don't even know about and there's no way I'd ever share it with you. Don't worry, I'm not a Catholic priest. You don't have to confess it to me. Confess it to Jesus. You're not too far gone. There is still hope for you and that you can leave tonight with that confidence. Look at verse 16. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please, have me, please leave me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. This great banquet is referring to the arrival of the kingdom of Jesus' ministry. So we're going to see two types of invitations here for this banquet. One is well in advance. It's kind of like our modern-day RSVP. It's saying, hey, we need to know if you're coming because we need to know if we need to buy food. The second invitation will go out the day of the banquet as a way to announce, like, now the banquet is, is ready. So it's like we're setting up next week, and someone comes in and says, hey, the food's ready. Come on, grab a plate. Let's get some food. Just say, come on and enjoy this party. Now, the two invitations may seem a little strange to us, but what we see is that the guests start making excuses after the first invitation is why suddenly that they can't come. So this is the key for us. They begin making excuses because they fail to see that the kingdom is now here and that there's an invitation from God to join him. All the excuses given, they show that people have put the busyness and business of everyday life ahead of the claims of God and his kingdom. And this passage is saying, therefore, they are not worthy to enter it. So what in your everyday life are you using as an excuse for the lack of involvement in the kingdom of God? What is, is, it, is it work? Is it school? I think the most legitimate excuse is the guy said, I have just married a wife. Like, if I had just married a wife, I'm like, yes, I want to go on my honeymoon. But it's all this other busyness. Right? I've got to work. I've got another email I've got to do. I've got I these things i got to get, get on with so are you allowing the busyness and business of everyday life to get in the way of being involved with the kingdom, the kingdom that God is inviting us into? We know that Jesus establishes his church and he leaves his followers with the task of making disciples. That's our job. Our job, if you're a Christ follower, is to make disciples in the city of Portland in our world. So if you say, what is my job description? That is your job description. Make disciples in the city of Portland in our world. What is I'm to do? You are to make disciples in the city of Portland and our world. And as you've heard it probably said before, the church is God's plan A to reach the world and to make disciples. There is no plan B. And so would you describe your life as being part of plan A? Or are you using excuses? Are you seeking a plan B? Are you only being involved and convenient? God, I know you've called me to this. I know there's this thing called the Great Commission. But I've got priorities, and that's kind of far down my priority list. This church is not God's kingdom and perfection, don't say amen to that one, yet it is the here and now reflection of the phrase on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in Portland, I mean on on Portland as it is in heaven. And we see based on these parables that meals can be a visual representation of our hearts. So what I want you to do is inspect your heart in these next few minutes as as we get towards the end of this passage. Christine Pohl says, often we maintain significant boundaries when offering to help persons in need. Many churches prepare and serve meals to the hungry neighbors, but few members find it easy to sit and eat with those who need the meal. When people are very different from ourselves, we often find it more comfortable to cook and clean for them than to share in a meal and conversation. We are familiar with roles as helpers, but are less certain about being equals eating together. Many of us struggle with simply being present with people in need. Our helping roles give definition to the relationship, but they also keep it decidedly hierarchical. One thing I do want to brag on our church about is we've, we're doing these meals, these serve nights. We've done a few of them now, the Portland Rescue Mission, the Harbor. And we do go in, and, and we cook a meal, and we serve a meal, but we sit and eat with the residents there. And I just want to say, like, like I'm proud of you guys. Like, I love that, and we've gotten great feedback from that. And that's, that's, I think, in that quote, she kind of captures that. We're not just going to check a box. Man, we fed some people, and we, we served a meal. to like, we want to sit at this table with them and get to know their stories. I tend to agree with Jim Peterson here. He says, I know of no more effective environment for initiating evangelism than a dinner at home or a quiet restaurant. So if you say, well, where do I start evangelism? I know there's all kinds of methodologies, and there's all kinds of circles and lines and things that we can do. But if you're like, where can I start? Start by having a dinner at your house or going to a quiet restaurant with someone and just open up about your life. That's a great place to start. Wrap up with me in verses 21 through 24. It says, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is, there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet.'" And so we see the master, he goes on to open his invitation that nobody else would invite. He says, go invite the lowest in society. Go invite the outcasts in our society. Go invite the rejects, go invite the misfits, those on the fringes of society. That's how I want you to go out and gather to me for my party, for my banquet. And by inviting these groups to the banquet, he's saying that none of the original invitees would taste the banquet. Now, it seems like some strong language, but that's what we see it described here, saying, hey, they're going to miss it. They're too busy. They don't, they don't, they're, they're not pressing into the kingdom of God. They've got other things going on, other priorities. We're going to invite these that no one else would invite to their party. Now, I believe in the idea of eternal security, if you're not familiar with that term, but the basic idea is that once you've truly given your life to Christ, then you're always, like, once saved, always saved is the basic idea. But in order for that to work, you have actually had to give your life over to Christ. And so w- once that takes place, that is when that kind of locks, locks in. So once saved, always saved, if you've actually given your life to Jesus. Going back to the Pharisees, they had all the right answers. They knew all the right things to say, but they had never truly repented of their sins and given their life over to Jesus. That's one of the sad things of, of someone. I grew up in church, and I have friends who grew up in church, and they could tell you everything. They could tell you all the verses. They have badges and even trophies, which is weird that churches do that. But they have all these things. They can give you a shelf of them. They probably throw them away. And, but but they're not living for the Lord because there's never been this heart transformation that took place. My hope is that as people come into sojourn and people start to interact with sojourn further, that, that would not be their story. That, that sojourn just gave me some really good tools and some really good things to say. I now know the right answer. But that their hearts would actually be transformed by the Spirit of God. That is my prayer. So let me wrap up by saying that we are the spiritually poor with nothing to offer for our own salvation. We are the spiritually crippled. We're made powerless by sin. We are the spiritually blind. We're unable to see the truth about Jesus. We are the spiritually lame. We're unable to come to God on our own. But, and thank God for the but, Jesus has invited us to join him at his banquet table through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. The invitations have been sent out are you ready to come to Him today? Is your invitation sitting there? Have you RSVP'd yet? Are you making up excuses? Tabidi Anawabili says that we see the broken into the kingdom, not the healthy. The more we admit our brokenness and need, the closer we get to the kingdom of God. The more we deny our brokenness and need, the further away we get from the kingdom of God. And so we see that Jesus' kingdom party has an open invitation. Have you ever responded? You may be wondering, is God real? Yes, he is. You may be wondering, can God help me? Yes, he can help you. You may be wondering if you're good enough to receive an invitation. You're not. But Jesus is, and he has given his invitation to you. Jesus has RSCP'd on your behalf and said, here you go. So in a moment, I'm going to pray for us, and then Joseph will come back up and and lead us in worship. And while we move to our response time, we're going to respond a few different ways this evening. Maybe you're, you're sitting here and something, something's clicked for you tonight and you, and you understand that Jesus is God and that he has provided a place for you at the table. If that is you, come today and accept his invitation. You can respond by confessing with your mouth and heart that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life. If that's you, come and find me. I'll, I'll, typically, I'll be in the back and say, hey, I want to tap your shoulder. I want to talk to you about this. Maybe you're sitting here and you say, I'm already a follower of Jesus, but today I need to commit to God to invite others to join him, to open my mouth, to give out the invitation, not only to those who are like me, but to those who are unlike me, to be hospitable. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you needs in our cities. Ask the Holy Spirit this week, say, we're having this cookout next week. Holy Spirit, lead me to someone to invite to this. Someone who may not come to a setting like this, but they would easily come to a parking lot where there's going to be free food and games and people to hang out with. And then we're going to respond through worship. We're going to sing songs of praise. We're going to pray by giving, being generous. And then finally, we worship by taking communion. Those who have believed and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Now, this is a time that we do this every single week at Sojourn, and so I know that it become kind of routine. And, like, it becomes, like, one of the things, like, okay, I go in, I grab my coffee, I take my seat, and it's usually about the same place, and we'll do this. I don't ever want it to become just so routine that we don't actually remember what it is that we're doing. And so, really, it's like a time that we can reset the clock, regardless what happened this week, regardless how we came in here. We all left this, this door last week, and we did something this week that messed up. None of us lived a perfect life or perfect week this week. We made some kind of mistake, we made some kind of sin, we said something wrong, we did something. And this is a chance we can come in, and we can... We can confess things to the Lord. We can, we can inspect our own hearts. Let's do a self-reflection. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe there's an area that you haven't repented. And say, God, I need you to work in my heart in that area of forgiveness. Maybe you need some reconciliation. Could be could be in, in within yourself and between God or with somebody else. So I want you to take that time prior to getting up. Don't, don't feel like you have to get up right away. Maybe you're already. Maybe you said, man, I came in tonight and I already did all those things, so I want to be ready because maybe this is your favorite time, and that's fine. But take some time prior to getting up. Joseph can continue to play if he needs to. And so I'm going I'm to do a little bit different this week. I'm actually going to walk back here to the table. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 22, verses 19 through 20. And He says, and he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so I, I want the breaking of the, bed, the bread to be that reflection of Jesus' body that was broken for us on the cross. And likewise, verse 20, it says, he gave the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. And so once you come to the table, when you're ready, break off a piece of bread, dip it into the wine, and be reminded of Jesus' blood that was shed for you and for me and for the sins of our world and for those that, we, that the world rejects, that, that God also shed his blood for them as well so let me pray for us we will respond accordingly and then Joseph will come back up and close us in worship God we want to thank you for this evening we want to thank you for this night that you have allowed us to come in and to focus on you God that we could leave the mess of the world the mess of our city that we could leave that at the door and that we can come in and, and be refreshed by your new mercies by your grace by your spirit God, as we looked at these different parables tonight of you joining people at the table and and who we invite and who we don't invite, God, we may be reminded that none of us have arrived, that we all only have a place at the table because of you, because of what you have done and that you invited us into that. And we thank you for for the realization that we've come to, to be at this, this feast, at this banquet. God, that may we go and do likewise, but, but not only with those who look like us, not only those who, who would vote like us or have the same amount of money as us, but those that, that are different than us, God, those that are opposite of us, that we'd also let them know that they are invited. And God, maybe maybe we see a small reflection of that next week at the cookout, God, as we can look around and, in hopes that we've invited some people who show up that don't look like us, that aren't church people, that aren't Christ followers, but that they can come and join us around the table as we eat a meal and get a chance to interact with them and and, and ultimately let them know about your love and mercy and grace in their lives. God, we want to give these remaining moments over to you. As we come to the table, as as we inspect our hearts, let us see areas of repentance, areas of reconciliation that need to take place and that we get to bask in this meal that you have set out before us as we're reminded of your body that was broken and your blood that was shed for every single one of us and for the sins of the world god we love you we praise you in your name amen so sojourn the table is open when you are ready prayer is available i'll be in the back corner if you do need to talk about something or pray about something the time is yours respond accordingly